And if you're on social media, it's going to be much, much more difficult to be able to overcome all the envy that is naturally, you know, in humans. Hey, podcast listener, you're about to discover insider tips, tricks, and secrets to making more sales and converting more prospects into customers with email marketing. For more information about the email marketing podcast or the autoresponder guy, go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast. All right, it's John McIntyre here. I'm here with Craig Ballantyne. Now, uh, Craig is a productivity and success transformation coach from Toronto, Ontario, Ontario, Canada, and the author of The Perfect Day Formula, How to Own the Day and Control Your Life. He's been contributing to Men's Health Magazine since... Uh, 2000 and in 2001 he created a uh, popular home workout program called Turbulence Training Uh, and on his journey to success he's had to overcome crippling anxiety attacks and he beat them with his five pillars of transformation. Today Craig says men and women how to use the five pillars to lose 10 to 75 pounds, get a raise and make more money, find the love of their life and pretty much overcome any obstacle in the way of their success. Now, you can read his uh, daily essays on success, productivity, and fitness at Early to Rise. Now, what's interesting is, is I actually met Craig three, I think it was three years ago at the Blacksmith, um, it was a Blacksmith camp in Lithuania, of all places, which uh, was sort of a strange story when people would ask me if I'd been to Europe, and the only place I'd been was Lithuania. But, but anyway, back then, I tried to get a podcast going. It didn't happen, and now three years later, here we are finally talking about, uh, well, doing a podcast here with Craig. So today, we're going to talk about his book, the uh, the perfect day formula and uh, I've got some questions uh, that we'll get into. I think you're going to make this really interesting because I've played around with my routine a lot. So there, there we go, Craig. How are you going? Yeah, real great. Yes. Yeah. So it's good to connect again after all these years, John. It's fantastic to see what you've uh, been up to. I mean, you're just making amazing headwaves in the in the world. <laughs> Thanks, mate. You too, by the sound of it. Well, I appreciate that. And, you know, actually, I will say that uh, one of the um, uh, interviews he did with John Lee Dumas about uh, constructing webinars really helped me with a webinar I had the other uh, month. So thank you very much. Now the uh, student has become the teacher. So thank you very, very much. <laughs> he, is a, uh, he is a machine when he comes to those webinars. Yeah, he is. So let's... Uh I mean, I, I've done the, uh, you know, giving you a little bit of an intro there. Can you give the, the listener maybe a bit more of a background? You know, who are you? What do you like? What, what are you into? What do you do? Yeah, for sure. So I, have a, I was born very close to Toronto in Canada, and I grew up playing ice hockey. Ice hockey was the thing there. And so I went to college thinking I was going to be a strength and conditioning coach in the National Hockey League, of all things. And so that was what I went to do. And then in 2000, I started writing for Men's Health Magazine and realized I love helping the busy guy get home from work and do these short burst workouts that I invented. And so I got into creating information products and selling them on the internet. Did that for about uh, 12 years before we met, John. And uh, I also have bought another business called earlytorise.com, which is more of a personal development business. And so we sell books and all sorts of information on help on helping people build their wealth and their health awesome awesome so i was reading a bit about your story and how that all came together with because it started uh you know i read this a few days ago but you started you started wanting to get into the online stuff started you i think you had a business coach at one point and then that eventually you came you know turbulence training grew and grew and grew into from what i remember was a you know million dollar business or multiple millions and then you eventually leverage that or leverage that success to then go and invest or buy or become a partner in early to rise which is where You've been now for a few years, and now it's just grown from there. 
Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. And and it was 2006 when I hired that first business coach, and that's when my turbulence training business really took off. I mean, it was doing okay before that, but getting that business coach was like the exponential increase in business. And so I always tell people that was my number one mistake was waiting too long to get a business coach. And it's the number one piece of advice that I give to anybody is get a coach, get a mentor, someone who has been there and done that, who's achieved what you want to do and who shares your morals and ethics and, and your values. And when you have somebody like that to guide you, whether it's for a couple of months or whether it's for years, you'll become a better person and a much more successful person as well in so many areas of life. Hmm, I, was, I was wondering that when I read that. It seemed like you'd been going for three years or four years or something before you actually got around to hiring the coach. Yeah, I mean I was just uh, silly and stupid and cheap and stubborn and thinking I knew everything and it was just a bad, bad decision to wait so long. I should have been in there earlier. I should have hired a coach in 2003 or 2004. Um, you know, I would have got my book out earlier. I would have helped more people. Everything would be even greater than it is right now. So just, you know, anybody that's listening, no matter how much you think you know everything or, you know, even if money is a little tight, if you get enough money to invest in a resource, do it because it will then give you a 10 to 1 or a 100 to 1 return on investment, which then you can leverage and invest into more coaching. So I always tell people, if you're really broke, start with free YouTube videos, make a little bit of money from that, you know, from learning about people or go to the library and read somebody's book. And then when you've made a hundred or $500, invest in their next course. And then when you've made $5,000, invest in going to their seminar. And then when you made, you know, 20 or $50,000, invest in that person's mastermind group or find a way to intern with them, but get out there and find your coach as soon as you can. I reckon that's great advice, but the challenge, the challenge that I've found with this, because I've worked with a few different coaches now, and I think people who are, who are listening to this, it's going to be like, well, I mean, today you would have seen this. There's a proliferation of life coaches and business coaches who are going to you know, solve all the problems in your life and help you. Like They're all making the same claims. I'm going to help you lose weight. I'm going to help you make money. I'm going to help you get find the love of your life or learn to pick up girls or whatever it is. There's so much of because anyone can be a coach these days. So this is this is a slight tangent, but I think it's quite interesting and valuable. How do you think that? How do you go about finding a good coach? You, you make a very fair point, and it's a fair assessment of the of the world today. However, uh, you should be able to find hours and hours of free content from people, whether it's through podcasts or whether it's through YouTube videos or whatever it is. I mean, there is just. There's no, there's almost no way to hide these days. And so right now, someone listening to this, you know, there's going to be that bell curve of people. You know, there's going to be that huge amount of people in the middle who are like, yeah, this guy's got some good information, but he doesn't hit me in the gut. And then there's going to be a few people who are like, yeah, this guy hits me in the gut the wrong way. I don't ever want to hear from this loser ever again. And that's totally fine because, you know, I got a way of life that I live and it's not going to attract everyone, but you repel those people to attract that 10% at the top, there's going to be 10% of people who are going to go, I got to get to Lithuania for the blacksmith camp and learn from this guy. If, if, they're, if you're younger or if you're older, you're like, I got to investigate this guy more. I got to read his book. I got to go and check out Early to Rise. I got to do X, Y, Z. You know, if I'm in America, I'm going to go and find one of his seminars, wherever he's speaking, and I'm going to go and learn more from this guy because this guy is my guy. And so I think that, you know, if you're a, a, a coach yourself or if you're someone who, well, if you're a coach yourself, you should be 
going and trying to get your message out is everywhere you can. I mean, I've been interviewed over 50 times this year. Um, it help, has helped me communicate my message better, but it's also allowed me to get in front of people and show them that uh, I can help them. And then if you're a student looking for a coach, you should find everything you possibly can about somebody who's you know kind of tickled your fancy a little bit, who's got a little bit of interest from you. Um, you know, if if somebody got on your list, John, by a referral from somebody else, they should listen to dozens of your podcasts to see if if this person is right for you. And I mean, it's, it's very much like dating. I mean, we're going to kiss a, a few dragons before we find our princess, but that's how <laughs> things should work, you know? And, and the uh, last thing I'll say is you should ask around people that you respect and say, who would you refer me to if you were in my situation looking for a coach at my age, my experience, my goals, you know, who should I go to? And you should ask for referrals because that's really one of the best ways um, especially as you become wealthier, to actually find people that you can trust. And that is, you know, among affluent people, they generally get their advisors, their coaches through referrals. So you should start that process pretty soon. Mm, probably worth pointing out too, like I think in the, especially in the marketing world, there can be a bit of like a bit of hoorah that gets around. And so there's this benefit, I think. Sometimes it's sort of hard, especially when you're a beginner, it can be hard to see through the noise where you, you know, you don't know, you don't really have the expertise yet to see through the claims that different people have. And That's so you, a great point. Yeah. So I reckon, you know, and there's a lot of like, you know, uh, you know, sleazy, scammy sort of people out there that don't really, it's like that, you know, business coaches who've never really built a business. And, um, the best way to probably get through that is to go and find people who aren't in that world, who have a you know a normal business or an e-commerce business, something outside the internet marketing info product world, for example. Find someone from out of, out of that and ask them for feedback on what they think of this person's you know branding or image or whatever it is, because they'll probably be a pretty objective uh, sounding board. Yeah, I mean, I would just definitely get into the world as well of past clients, you know, and and ask for referrals or, or references if you. If you're going to invest $1,000 a month or more, you should be able to go to the coach and say, listen, I would love to speak to two or three of your past clients. And, you know, as someone who runs mastermind groups, I would have no hesitation of sending you to people not only who have had success in my groups, but to send you to the people who dropped out after one or two months or six months because people do. I mean, not everybody joins my mastermind group, becomes a millionaire, but there are some that, that become, you know, multimillionaires and there's some people who have been with us for four or five years and we you know we're we got nothing to hide and it's those people who do have something to hide who who don't act congruent with their image at all times that those are the people you want to avoid and um, that's why you start with just a seminar first don't go directly into somebody's coaching program go go to one of their seminars try and see how they act around the hotel staff try and see how they act around um, other people. And if they don't strike you as sharing the same values as you, then no matter how great they are at marketing, you you'll you'll probably won't be a great long-term fit. And so, yes, you can still learn marketing from them, but they probably got courses on that and you would avoid them as a coach because there's more to coaching than just the tactics. There's so much more about, listen, at the end of the day, you can take my tactics and um, but you're still going to have those days where you swing and miss. And when you swing and miss, am I going to be there for you to raise your spirits? And that's what coaching, there's an art and science of it. And it's the science of the tactics, but there's also the art of making sure that you take care of the person as a whole. 
Totally, totally. And uh, on that note, I reckon we should probably talk about uh, Blacksmith Camp, probably at the end, so we'll drop an open loop there for them. Um, yeah. But, but we can talk about that at the end and who that's for. So uh, let's move on then to the, uh, the perfect day formula. Tell me about the book, what it's, you know, what it's about, what, what, you know, what made you write it. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it's a compendium of everything that I've used over the years and I've used with so many of my coaching clients to help them get more done, make more money, but also most importantly to have more freedom in their life. And so we help them put a lot of structure into their day. And so for some people, they want to resist my, my idea of structure, structure, structure in the day. But we're only doing this so that you have more freedom in your evenings for your family or for your hobbies or you know to live wherever you want because you've gotten so much done during the days and so it's people that are proactive are really going to love the the book people that just want to react to the world uh, you know those people struggle and they're going to either take a lot from the book and say oh i get it now i can really fix my day or they're just going to reject everything i say which again is fine I, I don't expect everyone in the world to love what i say because it is very structured but essentially it helps people find when they're most productive it helps people block that time it helps people really focus on their days and really control the chaos that the world brings at them so they can concentrate on what counts whether it's at night or on the weekends or in the morning, so that they have more free time and freedom in their life. Right. All right now, one of the guys that I'm a big fan of on Instagram is uh, The Rock, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson. You know the guy, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He posts these photos every – I don't think he's done it in a while, but he, every now and then he posts a photo of it's you know, 4 a.m. or 3.45 a.m. and his alarm's going off, and it's a screenshot of his phone. And he's, then he's got like a, you know, an Instagram status update about how, you know, let's wake up and chase our goals and chase our greatness, blah, blah, blah. And it's really cool. Like, I, you know, I like that. I like the hustle that he has with that, that he's, you know, he's up at 4 a.m. From what I understand, that's when he has to be on set, say, at 7 a.m. He's waking up so he can like do basically a weight workout, go and eat some carbs and then go and do a cardio workout or something like that. Then he goes onto the set and probably works 12 or 14 hours acting. So... There's something really cool about that, but yeah, I think from memory, you uh, you actually wake up something sometime around then as well at four or four thirty. Yeah, I get up. At, I'm, I start work every day at four o'clock. So um, you know I, what I found, and I talked about in my book, is there's something called magic time, and everyone has magic time. And and uh, when do you work, John? Are you a night owl worker? Like when do you just crank out your emails like you're a magician? Um. Right. I mean, right now I'm in this flux where I'm trying to figure some of this out. I was waking up. At, I was doing 4:15 a.m. for a month or two in when I was in Berlin. Yeah. Uh, but that it burnt out, and I don't think it was the pro- the 4:15 was the problem. I think it was that I wasn't being disciplined. I was drinking too much coffee, so basically that was oh. screwing the whole thing up. So that worked pretty well. But then the downside of that was that if I wanted to go out, you know, have a social, it felt like if I wanted to have a social life, go out, on, you know, with a girl or go dancing or something like that, I couldn't really do that because I had to be in bed by eight, which had had its own downside, so then now now I've been I've been testing no alarm at all. But you know I'm the sort of I can I have a you know I can just go on sleeping. So I'll wake up at 10 a.m. and that's not really conducive to getting that much done because you feel like you're already behind when you wake up. So, right, that's uh, what I felt when I was uh, you know in, in about 2007 when I was able to go from being a personal trainer to you know being a full time online fitness guy. And, you know, I was sorry. I was like, okay, I don't have to get up and train people really early in the morning. So I was getting up late, you know, air quotes around that at 730 in the morning. But I felt like I was always chasing the tail of the world. And so I realized I need to get up early just personally for me. I love the spirituality of the 
uh, morning when I'm the only person up, it's just amazing to me. And so that's when I get my most work done, most of my work done. Now, going back to the, the social aspect, um, I do believe in keeping a regular wake up time and a regular bedtime. But, you know, last week I was just in Las Vegas for a mastermind meeting and there's no way that you, you're, you know, first of all, you're going to be social with the members and plus there's uh, plenty to do in the, that town. So um, I don't, I, I recommend trying to stick to your wake up as close as possible. So even if you stay out till midnight, um, you know, not, and, and you regularly get up at 4.30, don't sleep past six o'clock in the morning. I know it's, it's only a few hours of sleep, but um, you know, have a nap later on, but you don't want to get too far away from your wake up time. Your wake up time is one of the most important things you can stick to. So you stay up a couple hours late and that's fine. Um, try not to overdo it too much. And obviously, uh, people that are listening, you know, don't drink too much alcohol uh, on too many nights. And so you stick to that wake up time, you have some naps, and that will give you a lot of all day energy. And so going all the way back to your original question, I do get up, I start work at four in the morning, because I get three times as much work done in my magic time, which is in the morning, than I do at any other time of day. And everyone has magic time, whether it's two o'clock in the afternoon, or whether it's like my friend Joel Marion, who has it at, you know, midnight, and he gets three times as much done then as if he would try to do it at 10 a.m. So everyone has it. Everyone should find it. Everyone should protect it and then build your structure around that as much as possible, uh, you know, with considerations of, of uh, if you have a regular work job or if you have uh, family stuff you have to be around with. But everyone can do that. And so going back to The Rock, you know, there's another guy named Jocko Willink uh, who has yeah. a book out. And, and he has something, I think, like the 4.45 a.m. club. And then there's another guy, who, uh, Robin Sharma, who has the 5 a.m. club. And there's a lot of people who are like me about getting up in the morning because if you get up in the morning, there's nobody there stealing your time. And when, the world, when your life is so busy, that's what you have to do in some cases, especially if you have a priority project. If you want to write a book, if you want to write a sales letter and you try and do it during the normal work hours – there's just too much stuff going on, and no matter how disciplined we are, it's very, very difficult for us to overcome the phone calls, the emails, the people running into your office with their pants on fire, you know, what they think is their pants on fire, even though it's not an emergency, but, you know, they, they think the end of the world is coming because, you know, some, something happened, they got a phone call. Uh, you know, so all that stuff happens during a regular workday, so you either have to do it first thing in the morning or you have to do it at night. And there's just, you know, then there's too many social calls in the evening for most people to stick to it at night. So that's why I get up in the morning. That's why I think most people should get up in the morning and, you know, have that quiet time and make massive progress on their big goals. Yeah, I mean, that was the the feeling I had in Berlin until the, the too much coffee is, I think, over, <laughs> overloaded the adrenals. The feeling of like being up at – so I'd start – I'd wake up at 4.15. Then I'd do a sort of a morning routine of meditation and a few things like that. And I'd yep. start work at 5. And the whole idea was I'd do four and a half hours of focused work. So priority – whatever the priority goal was for four and a half hours. No email, um, nothing like that. It was meant, meant to be primarily creative. And then at 9.30, I would stop and go to the gym. And it's, it was great because I'd be walking to the gym, which is five or ten minutes away from the place where I was staying. And everyone else is on their way to work. And I've already already gotten done more than most people, more than I would get done in a whole workday or several workdays, and it's 9:30 a.m. and that's a cool. Yeah, feeling. I know that feeling. Oh man, uh, it's a great feeling. It's addictive though. Like the the, the it started to get to like I started to think more about the trade-offs. It's like you keep pushing it back. You could then go to four or 3:30. Because what time? Because if you start work at four, what time do you get up? 
I like to get up about quarter to four, and then I, I do my meditation after I've written for a while. So I don't let – because I know – I mean I'm, I'm a weak person, and that's why I have these, this structure in place because I'm as tempted and distracted as anyone else. So that's why I go – you know, the night before, I have the outline created. I, I put my subconscious to work at night, which I actually truly believe in. I think that you can have your brain work while you sleep. So that when you sit down in front of your screen or a piece of paper that you can pour thoughts out better than if you did not go through this little subconscious programming at night. And so that's what I do. And, and you know, the, the first hour I get, like I said, the, the magic time, three times as much done at any other time of day. And so if, if nothing else happened over the course of the day, John, no one could take that victory of that first hour away from me. And then, but then after I do that, I go into meditation and then I go to the gym. And then I actually, um, when I'm in Denver here, I have to spend the full day in the office with a lot of meetings because we've grown our team up and our marketing team and we actually do a lot of meetings. So there's no way I would get all that writing done unless I did it first thing. Right, right. So your thing is you wake up and then at four, you said at four, right? Three forty-five. You're up. Four. You start, yes. and you write for an hour, and then you meditate. Yeah, yeah. And then off to the gym, and then the the day kicks in. I mean, the reason why I like to focus on this is this this like the waking up early is like step. It's it's probably one of the hardest steps, but it's also the most essential because if you can get this down, the rest of the all the other stuff of organizing your routine and and staying off social media and everything like that, a lot of that becomes a lot easier when you win the morning. Yeah, absolutely. And and so really great example is, uh, you know, Russell Brunson got a copy of my book and my the kit that comes with my book. So I have a kit that actually, uh, you know, people can invest in this kit with all these work work tools and stuff. And so Russell was, you know, he was getting up at like eight or nine before he read my book. And, you know, then he was going into the office and he never felt like he was getting time to work on his click funnels, which is his business. So he read my book and he said to his wife, I'm going to start going to bed at 10, getting up at five and writing for two hours on these funnels. And he did an entire podcast on this. I think his podcast is called like Marketing in the Car or something. And you know, out of nowhere, he just, he just did this amazing testimonial about using my system. Now he's getting up and doing two hours of work, saying the exact same thing that you and I have said here, John, that you know, he's gotten more work done in those two hours than he would all day. And he gets into the office and you know, he's on this roll and even though the the rest of his day in the office is spent on the phone or with team members and all that stuff, he he's gotten his click funnels done, and he he just had an amazing story about it. And so you're very right. And what it comes down to is not getting up in the morning, but getting to bed on time and in the right environment so that you can get up on time. And if you were doing it for 4 a.m., you know you've probably got a great routine. I'd love to hear about it. <laughs> right now, right now, I've. I've kept- just got back to Thailand, so I've relaxed the routine for a while just to mm-hmm. experiment with some things. But back then, there was a realization. It's like, yeah, you can use some self-discipline to wake up you know, after four hours sleep or six hours sleep, but that's not sustainable. The whole battle is really won when you go – it's totally when you go to bed. Like the mood you're in, are you going to fall asleep quickly or have you been you know, on YouTube until you know, you're looking at the bright screen until too late at night? You've really, it, right. You have to be disciplined about the night before. That's what really sets up the morning. Absolutely, and it's it's. Uh, I've written a chapter in the book called the ten three two one zero formula, and I'll explain it in a second. But you know that I did, I posted an excerpt of that online, and it's gone viral because it just speaks to so many people. So we've had it on the Telegraph.co.uk in England. It was picked up there. It was picked up by Inc. It was picked up by Lifehacker. 
And we have had hundreds of thousands of people to our website from this article. And then I was actually even interviewed on Russian television about it. Wow. So there's a, yeah, I mean, it's just. Did you speak Russian? Speaks, I didn't. They, uh, they dubbed it over. <laughs> and then we have, we have a girl. I don't know if you ever met her, uh, Susha, from, that I met at the blacksmith camp back in 2010. She went and listened to it and said they kind of screwed up some of the stuff because she's, she speaks Russian and she translated it. But uh, it was funny. I just did this little video and then sent it over to this person who contacted me on Facebook from Russia and it's on Russian national television. Um, but again, it, it's because it speaks to so many people and it's such a problem that so many people have. And so the 103210 formula goes like this. Ten hours before bed, you stop drinking all caffeine. So, you know, you found out the hard way about that one, um, unless, you're, uh, unless you're Balzac who drank 50 cop- cups of coffee a day and, you know, kept strange hours. But, you know, it's no more caffeine after uh, 10 hours before bed because the half-life of caffeine is about 10 hours. So if you stop drinking caffeine, there's still some in your blood uh, 10 hours later, but it's not enough to generally keep you up. So, and then for me personally, I just can't handle much caffeine at all. So I, I stop drinking caffeine about 14 hours before I go to bed. Um, and the, the three is to stop drinking alcohol or having heavy meals three hours before bed, which means some people might have to become afternoon drinkers, um, which is okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they drink on the patio and then, but the, the thing is, you know, people do feel sleepy after they've had a little bit of alcohol, but the problem is, it interrupts your sleep cycles. And I'm a big believer in the 90-minute sleep cycle, the power of the 90-minute sleep cycle. And so science shows that we go through these 90-minute phases while we're asleep. And so if I wake up after six hours of sleep and my alarm is set to go off in an hour, I actually won't go back to sleep because that would mean I would get halfway through another sleep cycle. And if you wake up through a halfway through a sleep cycle, you're actually groggier than if you would be if you got up um, at, at six hours and, and have an hour less sleep. And then you try and have a little nap later on. So I'm a big fan of that. Um, but alcohol does interfere with those sleep cycles. And so you wake up, even if you, know, you have like two or three glasses of wine an hour before bed, and you wake up and you're kind of like, you know, stuffy and kind of groggy the next morning, even if you get seven or eight hours of sleep. And it's because the alcohol interferes with that. Uh, so two hours before bed, stop all work. An hour before bed, stop the screens. So no blue light screens, which are iPhones, laptops, um, some televisions. Um, you can get glasses, actually, that, that stop and block the light, the blue light that keeps you alert. But if you just look at your iPhone in bed right before you go to sleep, the light from that keeps us alert and it, you, know, you toss and turn in bed all night. So that's the one hour rule. And then zero is the number of times that you should hit snooze in the morning because again, it goes back to that sleep cycle. Yeah, I know, I mean, it's easier said than done, but with practice, you can do it. I mean, I'm probably about 10, maybe 15 years older than you, John. And so when I was your age, I wasn't, uh, even as good as you are uh, with the habits. Um, so I rejected a lot of this information and I wish I hadn't. But now I don't hit the snooze button. Um, I just get up because I know if I go back into 10 minutes of sleep, again, you're into the sleep cycle and you're going to wake up groggier than if you had just gotten out of bed uh, at that first alarm. So, you know, some situ- you know, ideas, if you sleep alone um, some of the time or all of the time, you can put the, the alarm across the room or I actually have my alarm outside of my room when I'm traveling outside of, or 
sorry, uh, really across the room when I'm traveling. Um, if I'm sleeping alone at home, then I have it outside of the bedroom so that I actually have to get up, walk across the room. And by then, you're just not going back to bed. Uh, another thing is you can get uh, one of the light alarms. So Philips is a company that makes them and you can set it so that it just gradually increases the light in the room. So it's like waking up naturally. You can buy those on Amazon. And those are another way that people are using to have less of a harsh awakening in the morning. Right. I mean, it's this is what I'm trying to experiment with at the moment because in, in Berlin, it was great to do the, you know, waking up at 4, 15 or whatever it was. That was fantastic. But then, yeah, I found it wasn't, I mean, that's, that's quite early. So that I felt like it wasn't that sustainable with going out, but it also that the wake up times, it becomes, to, it, it starts to feel very, very abrupt sometimes. And so I've experimented, experimented with the 90-minute cycles, and I think there's, a, there's like an iPhone app where it tracks your sleep cycle and then tries to wake you up when you're in the light stage of sleep. That, okay. Yeah. I don't know that, but I'd love to if – if you find the name of that, I'd love to hear about that because I, I think sleep is very important. And you know, I, w- I would say for a young man like you, try and aim for like a, you know, a 10 to 5.30 – or if you wake up at four o'clock or four thirty, you know, just get out of bed then. But you know, ten to five thirty, you're still up before six. I think there's still something really fantastic about that. You're still up before most people are going about their day. It's not inhuman, you know, to get up at five thirty as a young man. I mean, mo- you know, a lot of construction workers do that, so a lot of people are doing that during the week. And uh, then on the weekend, you relax things a little bit, but not till you're sleeping till ten o'clock in the morning. And really, uh, you know, using the meditation is, is also, uh, from what I've talked to, some doctors say that if you meditate for 20 minutes, it's almost like having a 20-minute nap or even an hour of uh, sleep. And then you can have an afternoon nap of 20 minutes. And collectively, even if you only sleep six and a half hours a night, um, it adds up to being the same amount of rest. And, and, you know, you should try and get seven or eight hours of sleep. But I think that a young, ambitious man who still wants to have a good social life but also take advantage in the morning would do well on a 10 to 5.30 schedule. Interesting. I mean, this brings up another issue that I've kind of wrestled with a bit is like how much sleep do I need? Because some days it's like, you know, nine hours isn't enough and then other days I can have six hours and I'm like, I'm up like a rocket in the morning. And so I still don't know and it seems to go up and down obviously depending on exercise. Right now I lift uh, four days a week. And so I'm not sure if seven and a half, sometimes it feels like it's fine. Sometimes it feels like it's too little. How have you tried, you know, figured out how much sleep you need? I have to force myself to sleep because I can, I can sleep, you know, six hours and, you know, have days go by days go by before I feel tired. And I, but I know, I know that's not right. I shouldn't, I shouldn't give into that temptation of cutting back on the sleep. So I force myself to, to make sure that I get it, go to bed early on some nights or to have the nap. And I, I try and I would say I average seven. I wish I was averaging more like seven and a half or eight, but I'm, I'm doing pretty well when I get an average of seven. That's so interesting. I find this fascinating how some people like that. There's a, a girl uh, who goes to the local salsa dancing thing I've been going to here, and she, she just wakes up. She doesn't use an alarm, which I think is really cool. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to try that. Now, she wakes up at 6 because her pets come and wake her up. And I think if she just wake up at 6, she's one of those people anyway. If I don't use an yeah. alarm, I'm waking up at like 8.39. Starts to get, and it seems to get a bit later each day because each day I wake up late and then I stay up a little bit later the next night. Then I wake up a bit later the next day and it creates this – eventually it's like it's 11 and it's like, what's going on? This isn't – you can't live like this. Um, yeah, that's very interesting. So it's it, – this is fascinating to me how different people – you you know, you talk about you can get you know go for days – 
uh, on six hours and not feel tired. If I have six hours, usually now, yeah, I, I, it depends on the day, but um, most of the time, if I had six hours, I'd be pretty tired. Yeah, you know, and then there's the thing, John, is, well, if, you know, someone's eight hours can be actually worse than someone's, you know, six and a half hours, right? Because of the quality of sleep, you know, the, the noise and all that sort of thing. So there's other things that people should make sure that they're doing at night, you know, 65 degrees Fahrenheit, temperature in the room, you know, blacked out and no light getting in. I sleep with earplugs and an eye mask like an old lady, you know, but I mean, <laughs> The earplugs have been a lifesaver, uh, especially in the hotels. And same with, you know, you go to hotels and they got these little green lights up in the, the ceiling and oh, you have no I idea. hate that. And, uh, you know, so the eye mask, as silly as it is, it's really, really been a fantastic uh, little tool. So I have eye mask. I have earplugs. I use a sprayable melatonin, which is uh, a company from the blacksmith camp that I invested in. So I use sprayable melatonin um, a couple hours before bed, uh, magnesium before bed. Um, and, you know, I just got a little dialed in sleeping routine. And I, I travel a lot. So I, I've done this because I travel a lot and I want to adjust as quickly as possible between going between time zones. And so there's an art and science to it. There's great books out on it. A friend of mine, Sean Stevenson, just wrote a book for uh, Rodale Press, which is a company that uh, publishes Men's Health. And he has a book called Sleep Smarter. He has about 300 five-star reviews on Amazon. So if you want to get the ultimate Bible in sleeping, get that book and you'll learn about dialing that in because sleep is so important. And, and it's not just how we feel, John. It goes back, you know, you're talking about training. You know, if you want to recover properly from training, that's when you have to get that extra sleep. And so that's why even if I can feel fine on six, I know that mentally and physically my body and brain need the recovery of eight hours sleep. And I definitely feel different when I get eight hours sleep compared to six. You know, I don't feel like I need any caffeine if I've slept eight hours. Right. You can notice it in the gym too. When I was in, I think a couple of days ago, I had one of those big sleep-ins and uh, I went in the gym and I just felt so, just don't feel worn out. It's like you've had, it's like you've had, you know, two coffees before you go into the gym and everything's just working except I yep. haven't had any coffee. So, yeah. and on the lights there, I think that's funny. Like I'm, 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 noises don't do that much. Like I'm very, I'm a musician, so I think I'm sensitive to noise, but not for some reason not while I'm sleeping. Uh, but right. I, well, I hate light. So, like, if I'm lying in bed and there's that little red light or green light on the TV, I use unless I have an eye mask, I'll usually try and I have to cover it up. I'll have to get sticky right. tape, a bit right. of paper. The same thing on the AC. Yeah, it's so. funny. My 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 friend Bedros Koulian, uh I was just with him in Vegas on the weekend. He's a really great marketer. He's got great YouTube videos on mindset. Um, but Bedros. Uh, was thinking of buying a house beside the beside the ocean where he surfs in California, and so they went down and they rented a house there. And he could not sleep for the life of him at night with the waves coming in. You know, some people love that white noise, the fan, whatever it is. But he's the opposite. You know, he's he's the opposite of you. And so they decided they would only buy a house on the other side of the street where they couldn't hear the waves coming in. So everyone has their own little sleep things. You know, some people like to be really cold. Some people can't sleep unless it's warm and, and you just have to figure it out and make a routine out of it because this is what allows you to have amazing mornings and get stuff done. And if you're dragging your tail every morning, you're going to have a hard time getting ahead in life. I mean, that's just the bottom line as far as I can see. Mm. All right. Well, let's, let's move sort of further on into that, the, the, the perfect day formula. What You mentioned the, uh, the is it 10 8 Three two zero rule, uh, and then you know what else is there to it? I know you've got the, the five pillars. What do you think would be 
what else really, really matters? Uh, well, I think the five pillars are very helpful for anybody looking to make a, a change in their life because I actually discovered these from my weight loss transformation clients. So in my fitness business, I've run 25 before and after contests. So we've been doing this since 2008. And we have four categories in each one. So we've had about 100 winners in this contest. And they have to submit this little 200 or 300 word essay, I guess you would call it. And every time I would read them, the people who won had five common pillars in place. And the people who dropped out after two weeks, I'd take a look at their entries in the forum that we keep. And I'd realize that, that some of these pillars were missing. And so the five pillars work not just for losing weight, but they'll work for anything. If you want to become a better copywriter, they'll work for that. If you want to get out of debt, it'll work for that. If you want to make more money, if you want to find the love of your life, if you want to buy the house of your dreams, these five pillars work for everything because you can implement them this way. And so they go like this. Better planning and preparation is pillar number one. Pillar number two is professional accountability. Pillar number three is positive social support. Pillar number four is a meaningful incentive. And pillar number five is the big deadline. And you can just, you know, pull a topic out of a hat, John, and I could show you how it would work for anything. Hmm. I mean, one thing that, that I uh, sort of on my list of questions to ask you about this was it's we're, like we're often used to thinking about this stuff in terms of let's lose weight, let's make money, let's get a partner. And uh, I've been doing some, I guess you could say, recently I read a book called The Surrender Experiment, um, which... As, it, as the title implies, the guy just decides to surrender to life, gives up his preferences and gives up his goals. And if someone comes to him and says, hey, you know, can you, can you help me do this? He'd just say yes, even if he didn't want to. And that was the way he started to live. And so it's made me start to think about where do our goals come from? Like why is it that we, you know, it's, not, it's fine to want to lose weight or it's fine to want to make money and all these things, the great things in life. But a lot of the, well, I don't know, maybe some of the time at least, these are driven by this need to, we want to be someone, or we, they're driven by sort of an, an egoic need or a, you know, an insecurity in us where there's, there are also goals that might come from a desire to express ourselves. Like, I've been thinking about this, it's a bit like dancing. When you're dancing, you're not really trying to get to the end of the song. You dance to express some kind of sort of energy or some, something inside you. It's not to do anything other than to simply express that. And so this is where it's interesting is what I wanted to ask was why or how, how do you come up with these, I don't know, you might not even think this matters, but, but how do you figure out what to do? So what to apply these five pillars to? Because you could apply it to something that's driven by this, oh, I feel bad about myself, so I'm going to go lose weight. But if you don't fix the core underlying emotional issue, losing the weight may or may not help. If you Do you understand what I mean? Absolutely. So, so I'm going to answer that in two ways. First of all, you know, we'll talk about that meaningful incentive. And so people at the start of the year, in most cases, they'll say, oh, I want to lose 10 pounds this year. And that combined with that time of year will get you f through the first two weeks, right? You know, the two weeks of you'll have motivation enough to do almost anything. But because it's just this goal of losing 10 pounds, it doesn't really mean anything to somebody. And so that's when people drop out. Now, how do we figure out what really matters? And that comes down to what season of life you are in. And I learned this from a good friend of mine whose name is uh, Luciano Del Monte. Who, he's a pastor and the father of Vince Del Monte who you know, uh, has sold a lot of information about building muscle on the internet. So Vince's dad, Luciano, said to me, Craig, people are in a season of life. And what that means is we need to go and take a look at our priorities in life and figure out whether we're in a season of health, wealth, family or personal development. 
And so, for example, if someone is 55 years old and listening to this interview and they've built a nice career and their kids are off to college and their relationship is good, they've probably let their health go. And so, you know, they're 20 pounds overweight, they got, you know, prediabetes, something like that. They're in a season of health. And so they need to wake up and instead of writing or doing whatever uh, you and I do first thing in the morning, they need to focus on their health. So it might be preparing meals, it might be getting some exercise. And so that person is in a season of health. They're going to build their goals around that. They've got a meaningful incentive and it's also going to help them build their vision for their life. And so that's one example. Now, someone else who might be closer to your age, John, who might have a fiance, who might say, oh, we're going to start a family in two years. That person's going to be in a season of wealth building because they need to go and make money to buy the house, to take care of the kids, to take care of their spouse who's going to be off work for a couple months. So that person needs to be focused. Number one priority, get up and make money, whether it's figuring out what to say on sales calls or to you know, get new clients or to do whatever it is, they need to be making money. Now, they're not going to let their relationships suffer. They're not going to let their health suffer, but they're going to be put off to the side a little bit as they focus on their wealth building priority. And they're going to build a meaningful incentive around that. And then someone who's my mom's age, you know, she's got her kids out of the house. You know, she's financially secure. She's got her health doing well enough. Um, and so she is in this phase of volunteering and helping other people. And so she's going to get up first thing in the morning. And after she has breakfast, she's going to, you know, organize her volunteering schedule and, you know, check in with all the people that are supposed to be doing the volunteering, you know, taking this shift and that shift. And so everyone's in a season of life and they're going to build their five pillars around that. They're going to build their rules for living around that. They're going to build their structure for sleeping around that. They're going to build their vision for their life around what season of life they are in right now. I really like that. I, I haven't, I've read a lot about this topic and I haven't heard someone say it like that. I mean, the hard thing I think is like these days, I'm just reading a book right now by Cal Newport called Deep Work and he mentions this a lot. Oh, yeah. You've read it, yeah? Oh, well, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of, of Cal and he's like the angel on your shoulder where it's like, you know, or maybe not an angel on your shoulder, but I mean, that's the kind of guy you would look to is I would call him a virtual, virtual mentor. Like what would Cal do, you know, like right now, would he be, you know, how would he focus? And, and I look to him as a role model. I've never interacted with him. Um, I, I, we do publish his stuff at early to rise because it is such great thinking. And I do take a lot of inspiration from it, but uh, sorry to interrupt on that. No, no, that's fine. He, he mentions this idea of, um, so like, so social media, especially Facebook. So I probably spend, I don't know exactly how much right now, but social, Facebook's probably the main social media site I'm on, probably for most people. And um, the challenge with these sites is that we spend all day being, hopefully not all day, but a big part of the day being bombarded with these images of how great everyone else's life is, whether they're losing weight or they're getting married, they're having a kid, they're doing volunteering. And so one of the challenges that, and it's not just that, it's also today with the amount of opportunities, you know, it could be career opportunities, could be different diets we can go on. Do we want to, you know, if you're a guy, do you want to bulk up? Do you want to get lean? Do you want to get, you know, really big like a bodybuilder? You just want to get kind of, you know, more like just athletic. Um, there's all these options that we have. And plus it's compounded by social media where all these other cool things that people are doing. And so we're being, you know, hit by this FOMO or fear of missing out. And so that's, Part of the challenge, I think, is, is figuring out what do you actually want versus what do you just think you want. Because, well, you you know, it would be cool to be as ripped as that friend of yours, or to ha you know, be married and having that baby like that, those friends, or whatever. Absolutely, and and so 
John, to go back to the inspiration for my book, it's based on Stoic philosophy on Epictetus and the teachings he has. And it's actually built on what I call the three C formula as I interpreted his teachings, which is control what you can, cope with what you can't, and concentrate on what counts. So we control our mornings, we cope with the chaos of the world in the afternoon with the five pillars, and we concentrate on what counts in the evening with our vision. And so, you know, I'm a big fan of just cutting things. I mean, I just can't you know, keep up with everything in the world. Eventually, you have to draw the line somewhere. I mean, you can't have 9,000 friends on Facebook and keep up with all of them. You have to decide which ones are going to be most important to you and which ones you're going to keep up with. And then you just kind of have to say, you know what, I'm just going to have to let my interest in all these other people kind of kind of wane because I, I literally can't read Facebook updates from 900 people a day. I mean, you just can't do that and get ahead in life. And there's the quote from Warren Buffett that, you know, the difference between successful people and very successful people is that very successful people say no to almost everything. And so most people think of Warren Buffett, they see this old man at, uh, you know, his annual event or they see him on TV a little bit. But he actually spends 90 percent of his workday reading. All he does is read annual reports from companies. And everybody thinks, oh, he's got this great life. He's a billionaire. He reads annual reports, which is boring as sawdust, 90 percent of his day because he knows what really matters. And so, you know, another example is like Michael Phelps. Everybody would love to have, you know, 16 gold medals or whatever he's won. But nobody wants to spend 10 hours a day in the pool. But listen, if you want to succeed, you have to know where your line is. You have to know where enough is enough. So if you want to make $100,000 a year, you can have a much more leisurely life than somebody who wants to have an income of a million dollars a year. You have to realize, though, at $100,000 a year that you're going to sacrifice things. Compared, I mean, obviously, it's not a huge sacrifice, $100,000 a year, but, you know, relative, you know, respective to the person who's making a million dollars, you can't be jealous of the fact that they have a brand new Tesla and you don't. You have a five-year-old car. And if you're okay with that, you know, going back to the stoic philosophy, we can only control our thoughts, words, and our deeds. So if somebody buys something, we, we control whether we're happy for them or whether we're envious of them. And if you're on social media, it's going to be much, much more difficult to be able to over, overcome all the envy that is naturally, you know, in humans. And so if you have all these things coming to you and bombarding you, it's going to be tough to control your emotions. And so you have to just cut things off and you have to say, listen, I'm going to stay in touch with these 10 people. They are my core circle of 10 people. Um, I'm just not going to pay attention to all these other updates. I'm going to contact them on a regular basis. I'm going to stay in touch with other people. If somebody emails me, I'm not going to ignore them. But I just can't, you know, be on social media 20 hours a day, keeping up with 900 people. And I'm going to dedicate four hours a day to writing because this is what I do. I have to get my message out there to, to the world and change people's lives. I mean, you can go on and on Facebook and go back and forth with somebody for 30 minutes or you could send, you know, write an article that could be read by 5,000, 10,000 people. And so which makes a bigger impact on the world? And if that matters to you, making an impact on the world matters to you then you should better spend that 30 minutes. And so it really comes down to what's called introspection. Taking a look at your life objectively and figuring out what you're doing right now, is it the right thing for your right life right now? And that's the biggest decision you should be making, or the decision you should be making all day, every day. Is this second coffee the right decision for my right life right now? Is this third glass of wine the right decision for my right life right now? Is going out salsa dancing till 11 o'clock at night the right decision for my right life right now? And in some cases, 
darn right it's going to be. You know, staying up till four o'clock in the morning when you're 21 years old in, uh, you know, on a beach party in Thailand is the right decision for your right life. When you're 35 years old, it's not, probably. And so you have to make these decisions properly at all the right times, and you always have to be thinking about this. And so um, I've, ran I've ranted and rambled on a lot here, John. <laughs> I, hope I hope it's given some clarity to people because I've thought about this a lot. You know, I'm a 41-year-old guy, so I've got a little bit of a few years on a lot of people listening to this. Mm. And I just want to say to people, use your time wisely uh, no matter what age you're at. Yeah, I mean, one thing I've been thinking about lately is this idea of trade-offs and that we're often not aware that we're making a trade-off. When I was in Berlin, I started thinking about, you know, I'm in Berlin spending a certain amount of money here, living in a certain type of place, all, all that. Um, and, you know, I thought it was like, well, I'm choosing to be here. It's great. It's, it's, but what I wasn't thinking about was all the other stuff I could have been doing, which may or may not have been, you know, been something that I would have rather been doing or whatever. And so, you know, one of the things I was sacrificing was coming back to Thailand, for example. So staying in Berlin meant sacrificing Thailand. Coming to Thailand meant sacrificing Berlin. And obviously, you know, by going to Berlin or Thailand, I'm also sacrificing being in, say, Australia, where I'm from. And so right. there's this interesting... You know, if you're choosing to to have that third glass of wine, then you're choosing not to have that early morning tomorrow when you feel great. Or if you're choosing to skip the gym and watch TV, you choose, you know at the same time you're making the choice not to be fit or to you know to erode your self discipline and things like that. And we often don't. We sort of put these trade offs out of our mind because they're uncomfortable in the moment. But it's sort of through the introspection that you mentioned. When we think about it, then we can make a proper decision about what we actually want to do because we've sort of looked at the options you know squarely in the eye. Yeah, and one thing I'll, I'll add to people is, you know, this whole concept of a bucket list has become quite popular. But the bucket list is like this shotgun approach to life. I mean, if you've got 50 things on your bucket list, you, you're going to be chasing these things. I mean, do they really matter? Do you really need to go and bungee jump in New Zealand? I mean, do you really, 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 really need to do that? I mean, sure, you can put it on your bucket list, but you know, at the end of your life, are you going to die, you know, be on your deathbed and think, oh, man, if I had only gone to New Zealand and bungee jump? No, what you're going to think is, uh, you know, there's these core people I wish I spent more time with. That's what most people are going to think at the end of their life. I wish I spent more time with these core people. And maybe there was a couple of experiences they wish they had. But it's not this 50 bucket list items. And so you got to cut back and cut back and cut back and say, these are the things I'm going to do in my life. And these are the people I'm going to spend my life with because this is what really matters to me. And that's what people need to do is tighten it up. I mean, sure, you should have some great experiences on there, but you need to tighten it up so that it's not 41 things. It's like people that set 30 goals for the year. You're going to do a poor job <laughs> on all 30 um, versus a person who has three goals. They're going, to, they're going to conquer all three and they're going to get better at 30 other things. And they're going to be in a much better place than the person who had 30 goals. Right. I feel like we could talk about this stuff forever, but uh, we need to wrap it up. I know, I know. Um, before we sort of do wrap it up, let's, let's talk about Blacksmith Camp briefly. Tell me about that. Yeah, so Blacksmith Camp is where you and I met, John. It's something that we are on now on our seventh year. So we started this in 2010, I believe. Um, it was started by my friend Simon Black from SovereignMan.com and my business partner here in Denver, Matt Smith. And we do this for young people, generally between the ages of 18 and 30. We have 50 students, I think, every year who from about 35 different countries. We teach them entrepreneurship, a little bit of liberty talk, libertarian type uh, politic talk, basically just about helping people your age 
John, uh, get their freedom, get their freedom in life, um, get out of the system if they want to, uh, realize that they don't have to live in Padunk, Iowa or Ohio or wherever you grew up, that there's a big world out there. Um, you know, we get people from Zimbabwe, Tajikistan, all these countries that a lot of people have never heard of. It's, I mean, you've built incredible relationships at, at the event you went to, right? I, it was amazing for, for the time and the place of like, because you got to be under 25, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we get it up to about 30 now, but I mean, there's just so many amazing people doing such amazing things. People that have sold tech companies at age 25. I mean, mm. it blows my mind. It's just unbelievable what kids, you know, and I say that uh, affectionately, kids these days are doing. <laughs> Um, and, and I mean, I've some of my dearest friends and some of my employees and business partners have come through the blacksmith camp. And so uh, this year we've filled up the camp, but people can go to blacksmithcamp.com or sovereignacademy.org and find out, watch the video, find out more about the camp. They can go to sovereignman.com and learn more about Simon Black. And if, if they want to meet amazing people and see other people who are just doing awesome things, and who had that same freedom and success mindset, and they should be there. So um, I do have to run, John, but that, uh, that's what I'll, I'll say about the camp. And it, it just is my favorite part of the year because I love hanging around ambitious young people. Absolutely. Me too. I think it's one of the best places to go and build a peer group if you're sort of a young upstart trying to go somewhere. So well, let's, uh, let's call it here then. What's, uh, if people want to learn more about you or learn more about the book, where should they go and do that? Uh, they can get the book on Amazon or they can get the full kit and watch a little video about it at perfectdayformula.com and see all the amazing marketers and business owners that have used the kit to make more money and have more success in life. And it's, um, it's really fantastic there. And then they can join me at craigballantine.com or at earlytorise.com. Perfect. I'll have links to all of that in the show notes at themcmethod.com. Craig, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, really great to speak with you again, John. And hopefully we catch up again in person very soon. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to discover more insider tips, tricks, and secrets about driving sales with email marketing, sign up for daily email tips from the autoresponder guy. Go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast, sign up, confirm your email address, and I'll send you daily emails on how to improve your email marketing and make more sales via email. You'll find out why open rates don't matter and the seven-letter word that underlies all effective marketing and much more. Oh,